I think a materialist approach to things is very, very consistent with uh, my experience in Christian social justice. I feel like the, the deeper I get into anarchist practice, the deeper my faith is getting at the same time. I would hope that you know, securing means of life for all would be something all people of faith would say, oh yes, that's at the basis of what we believe. Those who are most marginalized know the most about the truth, good and the beautiful. To me, it's less that I think building class solidarity is a bad thing, as much as it seems like if you don't attend to things like anti-black racism, um, that's always going to get in the way of building class solidarity, actually. And when you go back, you find that a lot of uh, revolutionary grassroots participatory movements, the, the precursors to what you could call um, the barrio assemblies and these like, you know, grassroots neighborhood organizations, a lot of these were sponsored by the church. What does it mean to say that the Christian tradition is internally contradictory and there are antagonisms there? Um, you're always uh, being faithful to some aspects and betraying other aspects. Welcome to The Magnificast, a podcast about Christianity and leftist politics. I'm Dean Detloff, your pre-left-behind podcast host. And I'm Matt Bernico, and I'm here to sell you a big uh, a big container of freeze-dried soup that you can uh, rehydrate in the end times. It's, it's very cheap. Does that make um, Jim Baker a pre-wait, a, um, a post-tribulationist rapture guy? Does, does it? I think so. I don't know anything about his theology, but I guess that's my guess. That, uh, you got to prepare for the tribulation. You have to write it out. Right. Um, I guess it means that he doesn't believe in the rapture, right? Because if he did, then all the Christians would be gone, right? Well, this is the thing, though. Um, the rapture uh, can happen before the tribulation or after the tribulation, depending on what shitty Bible theory you actually have. Right, 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 right. Huh. Well, there's only one way to get to the bottom of this one, and that is to talk about another classic Christian movie. <laughs> Left behind. Ooh, still on that spooky, <laughs> spooky October theme. That's right. It's still Spooktober, and we're gonna do another spooky <laughs> Christian movie. Um, uh, we we did uh, Thief of the Night last week, and it was really fun and cool and uh, very triggering for me specifically. Um, <laughs> but this week we're gonna we're gonna move on to Kirk Cameron's Left Behind. But we're actually gonna take a look at Left Behind Two: Tribulation Force. Uh, we figured, you know, we already know what happens. The, the rapture, we get it. People disappear. Who cares? Uh, but what happens afterward is kind of the interesting thing for us. So last week we talked about the rapture. This week we're going to talk about the tribulation. Um, and if you have no idea what it is I'm talking about, rapture is uh, when the rapture is an, is an evangelical end times theory where God takes all of the Christians to heaven and leaves everyone else left behind. The tribulation is like all of the bad stuff that happens to people who are left on earth. And uh, it's about the rise of the Antichrist and a one world government and a whole bunch of other spooky stuff. So you got all that to look forward to. Um, it's going to be a great it's going to be a great one here. Uh, so we did watch <laughs> Left Behind 2 Tribulation Force. So if you haven't ever seen that movie, you don't need to. We're going to summarize it in a little bit. Um, but before we even get to it, Dean, can you help me answer some of these questions from Reddit about the tribulation? I think so. Yep. I, uh, I've been studying my, um, my special study Bible with all my charts and all my graphs, and I think I can do it. I really appreciate that, because I was cruising through Reddit earlier today, and uh, I did come across a, que a, uh, a question on Reddit on slash r slash Christianity, and it did pose a pretty troubling question to me. Uh, the question is, are you prepared for real tribulation? And I thought to myself, uh. no, I'm not, and I don't <laughs> know how to be. So here's the question, Dean. Mm -hmm. Imagine Christians bring. <laughs> Sorry, there's lots of <laughs> grammatical errors. Yeah, Imagine yeah. Christians being put into asylums as insane. Mm -hmm. Imagine mm -hmm. it being illegal to even have a Bible. If you think it's bad now that Christians are being set aside now, just wait until the real tribulation happens. So, Dean, are you prepared for the real tribulation? And what are you going to do to become prepared? I am prepared. I'm going to take those Christians right to the asylum. I am prepared. <laughs> You're going to put them all in there, huh? <laughs> That's right. I'm going to make it illegal for them to have a Bible. Okay. That wasn't really the answer I was expecting you to give me. But you're going to just be the guy. You're, you're prepared to do it. I mean, it just depends. You know, uh, Christians like this guy, probably. Mm -hmm. Maybe it wouldn't be so bad. 
Other people can have the Bible. That would be legal. This guy, though, no access. Too dangerous. It's too dangerous. We have to do a background check for some of these folks. Some people can operate heavy machinery. Some people can't. It's just a question of discernment. Right. Great. Check. <laughs> we got that one done. <laughs> uh, here's a second question that I do need uh, a little bit more, more elucidation on here. Um, yeah. so this one is called Socialism and the Great Tribulation. Oh, wow. Where in end times prophecy is there any indication that the new world order during the Great Tribulation will be communist or socialist? Does not the tongue-in-cheek lament over the collapsing realm of the Antichrist in chapter 18 of Revelation describe it as being capitalist? So, Dean, uh, in this Great Tribulation that we're coming towards uh, after the rapture, after everyone else gets taken away, but definitely not us because um, we're not those types of Christians, Mm-hmm. Uh, is it gonna? Is the Antichrist going to be doing socialism here for us or not? I'm gotta say no. Any any Antichrist of mine wouldn't be doing any kind of socialism uh, because we know that um, Jesus is socialist. So uh, just a big a big bad capitalist. I think uh, that Antichrist probably just gonna be you know uh, preaching the good news of uh, free market solutions to one world government, um, just the ultimate neoliberal state uh, controlling everybody. Why have all these tiny nation states when you just have a big one? One big uh, UN-led planetary order, as these movies would have yeah. us believe. That's right, with the free market. Although, as we'll find out, in Tribulation Force, I was extremely uh, interested in the idea of uh, consolidating all world currencies into one currency but actually apparently not caring about markets. So I think yeah. in-universe, uh, it actually is capitalist still. Yeah, I think so. <laughs> it's, as it, as uh, Frederick Chamberson says, not only is it easier to, uh, to imagine the end of the world than it is to imagine the end of capitalism, but it, it is easier to imagine uh, the rapture of just a, a small <laughs> percentage of Christians uh, than it is to imagine the end of capitalism. <laughs> That's right. Man, um, well, we can talk more. I mean, there's there's so much anti-communism actually bound up in uh, yeah, yeah. like in in this whole dispensationalism thing. But uh, I think that's right. I think I think that this movie in Left Behind Tribulation Force, the Antichrist is a capitalist. So what are you gonna do about it? Uh, I've got one for you that I found. Oh, okay, yeah, no, I'm, I'm ready for it. All right, this is more of a technical question, um, and the question goes like this: If the rapture was to occur. Would pregnant women lose their baby, and would any people be able to be born after the rapture? Hmm. Well, the first that first part of the question is extremely troubling. <laughs> I don't like that. <laughs> um, okay, I mean, listen, um, I'm a Christian socialist. I've never read the Bible for real, so I don't actually know. Uh, but in... Uh, in Left Behind, uh, children all do disappear because they uh, they aren't old enough to be able to uh, have made a decision about accepting Jesus Christ in their heart. So, <laughs> That's um, right. based on that gospel um, and that biblical story, I would say that yeah, I mean, babies um, babies of all ages are going to be gone. People who can't <laughs> who can't have Yoink. made a, a decision, they're done. They're gone. They've been raptured. Boom. What um, a day. Yeah, what a day. Uh, but can babies be born is a real interesting question. Uh, yeah, I think so. I think they can. Um, for no reason, I think that. Uh, just I don't <laughs> think that the rapture suspends human biology, but I don't know. Hard to say. I feel like uh, probably they have the baby and then it just gets beamed up. <laughs> God sees that baby down there being formed and it's like, oh, nope, you're not supposed to be down there. Yoink. Uh, it leaves behind uh, less clothes, so that's convenient. <laughs> that is convenient. Well, um, this week and last week, we've been doing a lot of dunking on these films, um, on these Christian films. And um, as we were getting ready for this episode, I started feeling a little bit bad. And I thought to myself, well, I mean, it's really easy to make fun of somebody else's art. But right. could I make my own art? Could I do? Could I make my own rapture movie that's just as good? <laughs> And I put together a little bit of a pitch, Dean, and I hope that I, I hope that like maybe in this episode, um, before we get too far into the uh, the movie analysis, I could kind of pitch you what I think would be a good left behind movie, and we can kind yeah, of workshop to it that. together. Yeah. Okay. Cool. <laughs> yeah. <clears throat> I appreciate I appreciate this uh, commitment to uh, really trying to you know um, put your money where your mouth is. Yeah. I mean, I think it's really important, right? We're gonna we're spending all this time to 
um, you know, taking these movies apart and telling you how bad they are and how silly they are and how just like buck wild these folks are. I think that like I have to prove I'm better than them that in that I can make a movie that's better. Yeah. Okay. Okay. Um, yeah, this is a new segment on the Magnificast cast where I'm going to pitch a movie to Dean that we're only going to do this one time ever. So get ready for it. <laughs> <clears throat> so I've uh, worked on this considerably, <laughs> by which I mean, I've written three paragraphs. <laughs> uh, so this is, uh, left behind, uh, in, in the, uh, the two thousands, uh, uh, iterations of these movies. There are three of them. This is, um, this is sort of like a 2019 reboot, but, um, it's maybe like a Netflix original. Uh, it's probably who I'd, I'd pitch it to first at least. Mm-hmm. Um, and, um, I think what it's going to do is it's going to sort of, uh, it's going to correct a lot of the really boring things about these movies. Cause these movies are extremely boring. So Holy left cow. behind as you, you all are about to find out and maybe you already know, right. It's an apocalyptic thriller that gives like a really dramatized story about Jesus, second coming, um, or, or his rapture, I guess, uh, before the second coming. Um, it's great. It's fantastic, but it is kind of like convoluted as a story. There's a lot of stuff going on with like Israel and the UN. And while this is like really great for conspiracy dads like myself, um, it's not great for teens. I can't imagine this movie, like keeping a teen's attention for more than 30 seconds. Israel, where's that? I don't think so. (laughs) Teens don't know where Israel is historically. (laughs) Uh, So I think it makes sense to do like another left behind movie, but this time Mm -hmm. it's specifically for teens. So this movie mm-hmm. is called mm-hmm. Left Behind Teen Edition. Just like you have like a Bible that's Teen Edition, this is like the Left Behind Teen Edition. So there were Left Behind Teen books. Dean, I need you. I uh, no, I need you to play with me in this space. No, there are not. Yeah, I'm Left ready. Behind Teen books. <laughs> no, I'm, I'm ready. But the, the thing is, I only know that because uh, today um, Emily told me that because she, I asked her. She watched this movie with me for for bizarre reasons. I still don't understand. <laughs> And uh, she said that um, I asked if she had ever read them when she was younger. And she said, no, she had only ever read the teen ones. So dang. (laughs) Well, I accidentally invented something that exists already. But I got to tell you, this is going to be a lot better. Yeah, of course. Of course. No, it's it is not to detract from your efforts. (laughs) It's it's really only to say that you're you're truly you're making an authentic reboot here. No, thank you. Okay, great. Well, okay, so Left Behind Teen Edition, it takes place, I think, probably like these books do, in the same Left Behind cinematic universe um, as the Kirk Cameron films. Because uh, mm-hmm. So there's continuity there. So you'll, you'll see some characters kind of make reappearances. It's great. The, the adults are going to love the tie-in. Um, but this one is going to focus in on what the post-rapture, like, tribulation time was like for teens specifically. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, so here we go. Here's the start of my official pitch. <laughs> That's just that's just the lead up, the preamble. <laughs> so the world's in chaos. There's looting, yeah. rioting, and tons of teens fornicating and vaping. You better Yikes. believe it. But one teen, Chet Crunkswell, has had enough <laughs> of all this sinning, and after getting his life turned around at the church with Pastor Bruce Barnes, who's a character in the film, he spends all of his time trying to witness to his fellow teens. But there's just one problem: he's a huge hunk, and every person that he tries oh, to my. tell about Jesus falls in love with his dreamy eyes and chiseled draw. It's a problem. So Chet Crunkswell, full of angst and guilt for not being able to save any souls, hits a dark point in his life. You can imagine this as sort of like a montage in the movie that's like uh, he's like skateboarding and he's smoking a cigarette. And um, and after pulling off like a really sick pop shove it off a mm-hmm. curb, he does lose his footing and he smashes his face into mm-hmm. the pavement. Mm-hmm. When Chet wakes up, Chloe Steele is standing over him in the church's makeshift hospital. She unwraps the bandages from his face, and he's got at least he's at least five percent less of a hunk than he was before. His now moderate unattractiveness helps others see him as just a regular guy who wants to share the love of God with them. Chet's relative unattractiveness helps him go on to build a sizable youth group. The film the film closes with Chet leading a devotional in the church basement. He's clearly evolved into the church's youth pastor. The final scene is him standing on a small platform holding a pair of devil sticks. He does an incredible (laughs) devil stick stunt and says, these three sticks are pretty amazing, right? Well, let me tell you about another three things that are amazing. The Trinity. (laughs) There's a close-up on Chet's face. He smiles. Cut to black. Left behind. Teen edition. So, Dean, what do you think? I think it's pretty perfect as it is, uh, but I am willing to accept some criticism. On yeah, this well, you know, I'm just thinking here, uh, there's certainly a tonal shift, it seems to me, uh, between the teen edition and the adult edition of Left Behind. Um, this <laughs> decidedly a narrative of um, of a lot of fun and excitement. I can see where you're going with that. Um, 
Yeah, ending on the the devil sticks note. It's a it's a a much um kind of lighter uh lighter fare than what we get in Left Behind Adult Edition. I do have some concerns about the opening, uh, the fornicating and vaping. If we're looking for a PG thirteen rating here, I think we're already going to be losing our main constituency. Um, so we'll just have to find a way. Yeah, to... we could do that tastefully yeah. for youth groups or all off screen. We could just have we could just have um <laughs> we could just have uh some shots some reaction shots of uh of chet just surveying so you you never actually see what happens but you just see chet's uh uh horror at the scenes in front of him i think that would be a really interesting unique way of uh of doing cinema uh adding something new to the genre yeah i think that makes a lot of sense um yeah uh i should probably also mention too that chet krunkswell is loosely based on me in my life yeah yeah i can tell when you when when you (laughs) got to the double six part i knew yeah (laughs) exactly (laughs) Yeah. Cool. Yeah. Um, I think, I mean, this is cool because it's just kind of like building out that universe. Um, it, it lets you, you know, like it's, it lets the left behind universe breathe a little mm-hmm. bit. Um, you get to learn about like what's going on at the church while Buck and uh, Ray are out uh, fighting the Antichrist and doing their whole thing. And, um, you know, at the end of, uh, at the very end of Left Behind 2 Tribulation Force, there are a lot of people in that church. And you got to imagine in that back pew, there's a big youth group sitting there. And this is, and that's Chet. And that's Chet and it's all, it's all his doing. So um, it just like really, I think, establishes uh, a little bit more depth to this world that um, Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins has made for yeah, us. Yeah, yeah. I'd, I'd also like to imagine Chet as a, of the exact age of where he was just too old to get raptured. Right, like he went to church camp and he was like, "Puh, lame." Yeah, yeah. And then he did do devil sticks outside. I mean, they're church. called devil sticks for a reason. Exactly. Yeah, it's good. Uh, let's send it off. We gotta send it to a producer. Okay, let me just. Uh... All right, uh, and send. I sent to Netflix Perfect. right now. I think I They've think got we've got a hit on our hands. We're gonna make a lot of money. Uh, well, um, here's the thing about Left Behind. If you don't know what it is. You're doing great. <laughs> uh, and I'm, you might as well just turn off this podcast because we're about to uh, add a, a real a real wrench in everything you think about uh, Christianity in the world. <laughs> if you do know what Left Behind is, well, then um, also I guess we should do a preemptive apology for making you sit through us talking about it because it really is just awful. Um, so last week we talked about, uh, A Thief in the Night, which is kind of like the pre-Left Behind, uh, Left Behind. It, it creates all the, the tropes that kind of get taken up in Left Behind, but not in the same way. Um, we can talk more about that in a little bit. Um, but it comes out of, we didn't talk about this at all last week, probably we should have, but, uh, these movies come out of a, an extremely specific kind of evangelicalism, um, or fundamentalism that is commonly called dispensationalism. And if you don't know what that is, it's just a fancy word for a particular way of um, reading the Bible through an extremely specific interpretive lens that creates a story about what happens in the end times. And like I kind of alluded to earlier, there are some debates within dispensationalism about exactly what events happen and when and all that kind of thing. But the high points are, uh, you know, Jesus came, did that, did his whole thing. Um, told us we got to accept him, etc. And we've had, you know, a couple thousand years to do it. And you've got to have a personal relationship with Jesus if you want to um, go to heaven. And then at some point, we know that Jesus is going to come back. But all these things happen before that. So one of them is this event called the rapture, where Christians get beamed up to heaven. Um, and all the other people who are not Christians stay on earth. Um, that event, like I said also earlier, can happen before another period of time that's common called, commonly called the tribulation. Um, dispensationalists say it's like seven years where the earth gets judged and there's all kinds of uh, spooky and bad things that happen and the Antichrist comes around and controls the world. Um, there's a beast in there. There's all kinds of wild stuff happening. And then at the end of the tribulation, uh, either the rapture happens there if it didn't already happen. Um, and then, you know, people get sorted out or uh at the end of the tribulation then there's kind of like a almost like a second rapture or you know the the people who became christians during the rapture they get um they get spared the final judgment and then jesus comes back yeah jesus comes back and there's the final battle right the last book in the left behind series where jesus does have a big sword and he does kill the devil yeah that's right very important 
something something to look forward to. Yeah, the devil and lots of people, <laughs> apparently. <laughs> Um, so that's the theology, but, uh, this week Matt suggested we should do Left Behind, which is a great suggestion. I told him I refuse to watch the first Left Behind only because I've already seen Thief in the Night. I already know what happens in the Rapture, but I would watch the sequel. Um, Matt being the, uh, overachiever that he is though, <laughs> did watch both films. Um, and Matt, I gotta say watching just the sequel, I did lose a little bit of the plot. So maybe you could just, uh, ease us into the conversation here um what what's kind of uh bringing us into the world of left behind Two tribulation force you think you're losing the plot but you're not there's not a lot of plot to be <laughs> all right with. good it's pretty complicated <laughs> um well i'm sorry it's pretty uncomplicated really so okay left behind um like you said it's like an evangelical film about the apocalypse i think it's actually um it's more helpful to think about it like okay if, if a thief in the night is a horror movie like it's shot like a horror movie because it mm-hmm. is um uh Left Behind is not that right. though. It's like a, it's a disaster movie. Um, think of like I don't know, um, you know, like 2012 or whatever um, other disaster movies that you might have seen. There's a bazillion of them, uh, but it's like that kind of movie. A bad, a big bad event happens, and this is sort of like the the aftermath of that event. Um, so that's the kind of that that's how they think of the um, they think of the rapture and sort of the end times, not as horror, but as disaster. That's uh, kind of an interesting and important bit that we'll come back to later in the conversation. Um, but Left Behind is a series of books that's uh, written by these two really uh, eclectic. <laughs> and <laughs> I'm trying to think of a nice way to say this. Uh, eclectic and yet strange uh, evangelical Christians named Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. Um, they're both like these like very specific type of like fundamentalist or evangelical kind of people. Basically the whole, the whole point of the book is to sort of speculate, um, kind of like realistically about what this would be like. And they kind of put it in uh, a more contemporary setting and they give us like all of these, the the trappings of, yeah, like, um, disaster and, and kind of help us think about what it would look like to maybe convict us of it. But like, what's so weird is that it is extremely complicated and to be convicted of it, you have to understand it and to understand it is like playing 12 dimensional chess <laughs> with uh, yourself or something. So um, this movie is trying to make it more appealing or sensical to people, but it doesn't. The film um, left behind the first one, it was made in 2001 and it stars Kirk Cameron, who you might recognize from growing pains, or if you grew up evangelical like me, you might know him from Bible man. <laughs> But Kurt Cameron, or, or Fireproof or something, yeah, yeah. right, if you're born later than me, uh, he's like, he's the uh, evangelical uh, actor um, before Kevin Sorbo. Oh, man, here's a great, uh, uh, sorry, just to get us into the, the yeah. Kurt Cameron mythos, um, Emily was also telling me that, uh, so <laughs> Emily um, has a huge interest in uh, evangelicalism because she was like kind of in and kind of out of it. And uh, she watches the show about this family called the Duggars. It's like 16 kids accounting or 17 or 18. I mean, they keep counting, so I'm not right. sure. They're a quiverful yes, family. Yes, exactly. Yeah. And, um, you know, they're like fundamentalist types. Uh, but Emily's telling me there's this episode where they go to like a... So they like don't watch movies, but they do watch some of them. And they go to this like Christian movie uh, festival and they meet Kirk Cameron there. Uh, and this is like after Fireproof. And she was saying that... Um, at the end of Fireproof, I guess, so if you don't know what Fireproof is, it's just like a romantic movie, um, Christian movie. Uh, he kisses this, you know, his wife in the film, which was a big scandal because, you know, his wife in the film is not played by his wife in real life. Um, and, uh, so he, he told the Duggars that in fact, in the film, they brought on his, his actual wife to play the, the part of his, you know, his on-screen wife. And so he was kissing, in fact, his real life wife on screen. Um, and, uh, that allowed the Duggars (laughs) to, uh, just really get down and be like, yeah, this is the best movie I've ever seen. That is amazing i don't know why emily is not doing this I, <laughs> yeah i right agree now. um that's true it was a big mistake she's asleep right now or i would just uh <laughs> get her on but maybe next time <laughs> too bad yeah maybe next time uh well left behind okay so anyways Kirk cameron a wild figure in himself. <laughs> yeah um but, but uh left behind uh again it's like the same story as a thief in the night but instead of being set in the 70s and being uh, a horror film it's set in 2001 it's disaster film 
Um, and also, like, rather than just being about, like, an individual sort of making their way through the end times, like A Thief of the Night was, it focuses more on, um, well, it focuses on, like, on a small group, a tribulation force, <laughs> if you will, because that's what they call the movie. It's weird. Uh, but also, it's, like, uh, it really focuses in on, like, the Antichrist and sort of, like, the global politics of, like, how he's going to use the the UN to, like, bring about world peace, which is also a theme in A Thief of the Night, but in this movie, it's, like, center stage. Like, that's, like, the whole sort of conflict. So these films draw on like lots of latent themes in evangel- uh, evangelical politics, like definitely Zionism, definitely supersessionism, um, definitely lots of weird racism, um, and uh, mashed up with like the biblical uh, speculations of Tim LaHaye and Jerry B. Jenkins. Uh, so because of that, the, the film's plot focuses a ton on modern day Israel and its particular geopolitical situation. Um, you know, it's it's smashing together the uh, Israelites of the Bible and Israel as is a modern nation state, which is um, something that you shouldn't do. Anyways, um, here's the Wikipedia summary for Left Behind. It's really short and to the point, whereas the other one's longer. But this gives you kind of an idea of the sort of flavor of the story, like you would need anyway. <laughs> Left Behind tells the story of the end times set in the contemporary area in which true believers in Christ have been raptured, leaving the world shattered and chaotic. As people scramble for answers, an obscure Romanian politician named Nicolae Carpathia rises to become Secretary General of the United Nations, promising to restore peace and stability to all nations. What most of the world does not realize is that Carpathia is actually the Antichrist foretold in the Bible. Coming to grips with the truth and becoming born-again Christians, airline pilot Rayford Steele (laughs) and his his daughter Chloe uh, their pastor, Bruce Barnes, and a young journalist named Cameron Buck Williams begin their quest as the tribulation force to help save those lost and prepare for the coming tribulation in which God will rain down judgment on the world for seven years. That's a lot. Can you even believe that someone would write a story and actually name a character Rayford Steele and <laughs> Buck Williams? It's insane. It is like... <laughs> It's like an old cowboy was just pulling names out of a hat for this one. <laughs> Cameron Buck Williams is very funny. I just love that Buck has no connection to any of the name uh, that he has. It's like it's a nickname, except that it isn't connected to his name. Yeah. Also, just Rayford Steele yeah. is, is a is a great Rayford Steele's good. Oh, he's gonna be a man's man, hard as steel. A pilot. That's he right. A pilot. He is. So that's left behind one that's what happens it's like i said you know it's it's we've already we've been there we've done that yeah but dean tell us about the tribulation force the movie that you all watched. right this <laughs> and i i mean i watched it too but but tell yeah, me of about course it. so uh left behind tribulation force is um just a great award-winning film um it did win an award uh hang on i'll tell you what that award is sorry i just lost my wikipedia page Okay, here it is. <laughs> um, it was no- sorry, I-, I was wrong. Not award winning, award nominated. Um, Left Behind Tribulation Forest was nominated for Best Live Action DVD Premiere Movie by the DVD Premiere Awards. Um, so it's a pretty important film, is what I'm trying to say. Uh, it picks up where uh, Matt says the plot just left off. Um, and uh, I'll read a little bit of the wiki summary, maybe interject a bit, because this one is way too long. So I'll try to summarize it. Um, So, it starts a week after the rapture, and the millions of people who vanished into thin air are still missing. Chaos rules the world as panic and grief-stricken survivors continue to search for their lost loved ones. A desperate world looks to the leadership and guidance of UN Secretary Nikolai Carpathia, the only person offering any answers, hope, and plans to restore peace and order. It should be added here that Nikolai Carpathia has just a horrible, horrible Romanian accent. Um, (laughs) It's not great. We can come back to that. While Carpathia has the world's adoration and trust, he's seemingly unaware of a small group of rebels (laughs) spreading the truth that he is, in fact, the Antichrist. Uh, Buck Williams is a highly respected television journalist who has seen firsthand Carpathia's manipulative and deadly powers. Uh, You're going to have to fill that into me, Matt, because they do some flashbacks of him witnessing a scene of horrible violence. What happened in it? They don't tell you. Um, So you do. Well, so... at the end of Left Behind, yeah. uh, Nikolai Carpathia, um, he shoots these two guys who were kind of like plotting against him. They also didn't know he was the Antichrist. And after he shoots them, he uses his devil powers to uh, make everyone believe that they killed one another. And, gotcha. And uh, they just witnessed this horrible sort of act. Good. Yeah, yeah, right. Gotcha, gotcha. Okay, that does help a lot. Um, 
<laughs> Carpathia's position, oh no, sorry, uh, Buck Williams' position as a journalist allows him special access to a global audience through the media and to Carpathia himself. Airline pilot, our favorite, Rayford Steele, and his 20-year-old daughter, Chloe, make up the rest of this group. As the Tribulation Force struggles to open the eyes of the world to truth, global events get even stranger when word leaks out that three men have mysteriously burned to death at one of the holiest sites in Israel, the Western Wall. At the same time, Rabbi Ben Judah, one of the leading religious scholars of his time, plans to make a world-altering announcement based on years of research. Pastor Barnes believes both events are linked to Carpathia, signaling the oncoming terror of the Tribulation. He acts quickly by getting Ray and Buck to embark on a dangerous mission to infiltrate Carpathia's organization. I love uh, Big Brain's Pastor Barnes. Um, they must get mm-hmm. to Ben Judah before he makes his announcement. Buck is going to the Wailing Wall or the Western Wall to get the witness on tape, but Steve Plank tries to talk him out of it. Bruce wants Rayford to join Carpathia's staff as the pilot of the new plane that the UN government gives to Nikolai. Um, there's a bunch of other stuff. There's a romantic subplot in here. Um, but let me just uh, uh, bring us around. So they end up going to the Western Wall. They meet the two witnesses. We'll talk more about them. That's another very important thing for dispensationalists. Um, the witnesses are these like wild, <laughs> wild, super-powered um, prophets. Uh, Rayford distracts the guards. That's a pretty big deal with, uh, the intervention of an angel who like stops time and allows them to (laughs) slip between some armed guards. Uh, very important. Um, Ben Judah, the rabbi ends up, uh, being convinced by these two, two witnesses that Jesus is actually the Messiah. And then, um, he ends up, uh, actually delivering on TV a speech that says that Jesus is the Messiah which really gets under uh, Nikolai's skin, grinds his gears, and um, that is pretty close to the end. Um, yeah, uh, let me think. Is there anything else that I missed, really? No, I think that's about it. So um, the world sees Ben Judah's uh, proclamation that Jesus is the Messiah. Um, ben Judah was supposed to say that Nikolai Carpathia right. was the Messiah, and it was supposed to be part of this like sort of one-world religion that was going to unify people. Um, but it doesn't go as planned. Um, and then at the very end, um, Carpathia is like screaming at the ceiling of the plane that he's riding in. And he tells God that his time has come to rule the earth and that he needs to get out of the way. Right. Um, meanwhile, <laughs> back in Chicago at the church, uh, Pastor Bruce is leading worship. And then the whole Tribulation Force gang is there and they're all singing a big hymn, How Great Thou Art. And uh, Buck enters, and they all have hugs, and they sing. And that's the end of the movie. Right. Um, so that's what happens. They uh, they get into the mix of the tribulation. They try to um, kind of, they, you know, they can't, they, they decide they can't stop the Antichrist. They can't, like, they can't, like, thwart his plan. But they can tell people about Jesus in mass, um, which is difficult because uh, Nikolai Carpathia, uh, the Antichrist, and the UN are all controlling the media. Um which is part of that thinly veiled anti-communism of the movie, I think. Yeah, yeah. But anyways, um, before we go into any of the themes very deeply here, I do want to read um, a few reviews from Rotten Tomatoes. (laughs) Um, So here they are. Uh, One user writes, nearly unendurable. (laughs) It's true. Another says, an exceedingly poorly made motion picture. (laughs) And then finally, a little hard to believe. (laughs) I love that. It is. Not a critical reception. No. Yeah, they are all true. Um, that uh, that very negative reception of this film is actually kind of a part of the interesting, I guess, story. I, I don't know. Maybe it is. Maybe it's not. Um, but uh, after these movies were all released, uh, all three of them, um, uh, you know, a bunch of other stuff came with it. Like uh, there's a video game that was made about this movie right. as well. That we can talk about maybe in a minute too. But in 2008, Tim LaHaye, one of the authors of the book, uh, they like... He, he brought a lawsuit against um, the film company, Namesake Entertainment, um, and they end up settling out of court. But basically, Tim, Lefe- uh, Tim LaHaye was just pissed that, um, <laughs> that the movies were so bad. <laughs> uh, so this is a quote from Tim LaHaye about the movies. My dream has always been to enter the movie theater with a first-class, high-quality movie that is grippingly interesting but also is true to the biblical storyline. But that was diluted in this first attempt. But Lord willing, we are going to see this thing made into the movie that it should be, and that all the world sees it before the real record comes. 
Um, so based on uh, the, the sort of result of Tim LaHaye's uh, legal dispute here with uh, Namesake Entertainment and Cloud 10 Pictures, the people who made these movies, was it that uh, Tim LaHaye could get them made again. So uh, uh, Left Behind was then rebooted in 2010 um, uh, with Nicolas Cage. And that one's on Netflix. Um, so these Left Behinds, the 2001s with uh, Kirk Cameron, those are on Amazon Prime. Nicholas Cage left behind. That's on Netflix. So you gotta get all your screen, uh, your <laughs> streaming services in line here to to get into the cinematic universe. Uh, to tell you the truth, I and... watched the second one on YouTube. Oh, you serious? Yeah, oh, cool. Free. Well, it's out there on YouTube. Don't pay for Amazon Prime. That's for sure. <laughs> uh, yeah, this whole thing is wild. The whole story is wild. The story around the films are why is wild. Um, I should say before we get into this, Matt, did you ha- ever have any background with dispensationalism yourself? Yeah, I mean, it was definitely the background of my evangelical upbringing. Um, I had read, uh, I actually never read the very first Left Behind book because, um, I mean, again, for the exact <laughs> same reason we didn't want to watch the movie is like, I know what happens. Everyone gets raptured. Duh. <laughs> but I did read the second one because that was supposed to be the exciting one where the Antichrist is like doing stuff. Mm-hmm. So I read that one. Um, yeah, it was just kind of always in the background of like my church experience. It was never like um, a huge topic of, of conversation, but I definitely remember talking about it in YouTube yeah. on more than one occasion. So it was definitely there. Yeah, um, yeah I don't know. Uh, how, how are you going to be a teen in youth group if you're not going to talk about the, the rapture? <laughs> That's a good question. Um, yeah, I because I came to evangelicals a little bit later, I didn't have any of the like childhood scars of it that a lot of people have, thankfully, because my parents were you know, normal, (laughs) normal Catholics. Um, But uh, I did get pretty into it in high school. And uh, (laughs) there is a scene in this film where Kirk Cameron evangelizes to this guy um, by following a script, asking him, like, if he thinks that he's a sinner. And the guy, of course, says no. And then um, there's this kind of evangelical fantasy about how uh, how these conversations go, um, where Kirk Cameron is like, well, have you ever told a lie? And the guy's like, well, yeah, sure. And he says, well, what does that make you? And the guy says, human. And then Kirk Cameron says, come on. If somebody murders somebody, <laughs> what do you call that person? And the guy says, a murderer. So Kirk Cameron says, aha, so you're a liar. And then he leads him down down the path. And by the end, he says, so by your own admission, it sounds to me like you're a sinner. Uh, and uh, it's trying to get him self-reflective, you know, and he's got to think about um, how he's a bad guy and he just needs Jesus Christ um that whole scene uh is like the way the the script of evangelism that i was taught in high school to do and did do at football games and shopping malls and a number of other public places that i don't um go to anymore (laughs) um but all all that to say uh i i didn't get way into the dispensationalism stuff as much but i i had this um proximity to it by virtue of you know being trained as a a very bizarre teen um saying that this is like an evangelical fantasy i think it's exactly the right way to say it because um just like you said i mean those types of scripts like um obviously don't work in real life because people aren't aren't stupid (laughs) (laughs) people aren't actually dumb and they won't just let you lead them on this like weird path of like being declared a liar and murderer for like no reason um, but this is definitely uh, this is definitely a fantasy because like all of a sudden um, these weird evangelical scripts are working and they're finally going to feel <laughs> vindicated, right? It's going to like evangelical audiences will see this movie and be like, "Yeah, good point. I'm going to say that to somebody next time. <laughs> it's going to work, and it won't, but uh, it's going to feel good for that minute." Uh, the tragedy is when every once in a while it does work. Um, I remember listening to this radio show called The Way of the Master Radio. Um, oh right, yeah. yeah uh, hosted by Todd Friel, but Kirk Cameron made several appearances as well. He was like their their guy in the field, their evangelist in the field that they called up for uh, <laughs> dispatches of what what was going on. And yeah, they would play some very brutal conversations. Um, you know, in retrospect, like at the time, I thought they were great and encouraging, but in retrospect, they were so sad. Um, anyway, all that to say, yes, this movie. Um, I said to Emily as we were watching it, I feel like you could watch this movie. And just like I said last week with The Thief in the Night, you would know everything that evangelicals think. Like, there's everything in it. There's the the script for evangelism is there. There's the script for how to pray the prayer. It's there. There's uh, literal short lessons about biblical theology are in there, um, you know, from beginning to end. Like, not only is it a dramatization of these events, but it's also 
trying to make sure that it hits every note of like evangelical strategies for being in the world, which I think is pretty fascinating. Yeah, totally. And in the, uh, you know, in, in the way of doing that, it also tells you a lot about evangelical politics, yeah. a lot about Zionism and a lot about what they think about the Jews and a lot about like, um, you know, the way that they think everyone will end, end up coming around to Jesus in the end or something like that. Um, it's pretty weird. So maybe we can talk about some of those big themes here for yeah. a minute. Um, so in the tribulation, this is when the Antichrist is in control, right? It's this like seven year period where um, the Antichrist, he's going to be in charge. He's going to be doing his thing. God's had all this time to kind of like work on humanity and let them do their thing. And now he's taken the people that chose to accept him into their heart, whatever that means. <laughs> um, but this time is for the devil. And uh, what Satan does is, I don't know, pretty weird. It actually is vague and unexplained in a lot of ways. So the devil comes. He's this guy, Nikolai Carpathia. He's like this charismatic Romanian guy. The, his Romanianness is actually important because there's this like weird um, speculation from dispensational theology that like the Antichrist will come from the Balkans, right. which, which is some kind of like weird, um, you know, weird reading of the Bible. Again, like that is just like this, you know, hermeneutic that someone made up that is uh, probably unfounded, actually. Um, but anyways so that that's him and what he does is he like basically like in the first movie he works his way up to be the secretary general of the un the united nations and in this movie he kind of accepts his role as like the new supreme leader of the entire world like everyone loves nikolai carpathia um and uh i mean that's actually really similar to what happened in a thief in the night but um the the cons but but it does play into lots of like sort of fears uh like evangelical fears about big government overreaching organizations like uh you know there have been right-wing conspiracies around the un for like a really long time and um they've all they like you know they'll flare up from time to time um a few a few years ago you might have heard um you might have heard you you know your weird evangelical uncle talking about agenda 21 that he heard on um you know like a conservative talk radio <laughs> show or something like on a glenn beck show um but that's like it, it all kind of comes out of this like un conspiracy theory sort of thing um so I mean, Agenda 21 is just sort of like one instance of it, but basically it's the idea that like um, the UN is going to be like seized by some kind of like uh, crazy left-wing folks and they're going to take over your golf courses and your houses and they're going to use them for environmental ends and, <laughs> and your individual rights will be limited because, um, you know, because the state will take them away from you. It's just like big fear of an overreaching government. Um, but in this case, uh, the, the fear is well-founded because... Uh, at the top of that overreaching government is the ant. <laughs> yeah, there's a lot of other things like built into that too. Um, it's not hard to draw a link between the anti-communism there, right? Uh, the, um, well, the Eastern European vibe <laughs> of Carpathia yeah. is like very obviously a, a kind of communist trope. Um, there's a lot of stuff about how like when people talk about peace, they're actually kind of setting you up to be duped into thinking that what they want is good, but you know, they're just taking advantage of you. Um, it really helps to establish evangelicalism as a conspiracy theory, I think, and to show that yeah. like it cannot work unless you're paranoid. Um, you know, like <laughs> if you've ever kind of wondered all the time, like why your evangelical aunt is, you know, or or probably more likely your evangelical uncle is like constantly concerned about the government. Surely there's lots of political reasons, but also one of them is that like he probably has a biblical hermeneutic that tells him that, you know, the minute somebody uh, like Bernie Sanders or <laughs> even like Barack Obama is out there talking about like hope and change, like those are all code words for somebody trying to, uh, you know, weasel their way into p positions of power just to let the devil reign or something like that. So there's like a theological program at work there that uh, teaches evangelicals to be nervous about uh, governmental authority for theological reasons. And this is that dramatized. Yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I don't know. It would probably take some more research to make this connection really solid. But I think it's a pretty strong hypothesis, at least that like the A Thief in the Night stuff with the UN and then the, and then like Nikolai Carpathia as um, as left behind Antichrist, uh, you know, like these are like world leaders charismatic leaders i guess like um i don't i wouldn't say that nikolai carpathia is a left-wing leader but i'm sure that's how he'd be framed yeah yeah um 
but like it's it's totally priming for things like Barack Obama as the Antichrist and stuff like that later, right? Like these are these are two things that these are ideas that are circulating in the same rhetorical spheres that are probably connected for you know one's a priming for the other for you know uh the media's a priming for like a real life response to this or something yeah yeah i mean evangelicals will even say that about like the pope or something like when the pope francis when pope francis talks about you know taking care of refugees or whatever they're like oh yeah well <laughs> the antichrist also says things about taking yeah. care of people <laughs> it's like okay <laughs> um yeah i think that's a really good segue though into like kind of like the 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 theme i guess that you might take away from the movie i mean if you were to kind of like read the movie critically or something i mean left behind is this like story that is so strange because on the one hand right um the antichrist and this like tribulation time and inevitably jesus coming back from the eschaton these are like um determined things these are determined like uh you know um ro- like bumps in the road but at the same time, these people are trying to like participate in history in some way too. Like they're trying to like still witness uh, to other people about Jesus. But it's so weird because like it actually doesn't matter what they do because the same outcome will happen right. no matter what, right? Like, like there's one part in, in this movie where they're like, okay, what are we gonna stop the Antichrist? And they're like, no, you can't stop. He's <laughs> here for seven years. Right. And it's like it's this weird sort of like feeling of futility in the movie where. I, I mean, like, I, I think if you were really to think about it logically, it doesn't actually make any sense. Like, they shouldn't be doing anything at all. They should just be, like, hanging out in church together or whatever. But instead, they go out and try to, like, make this difference, and they, and they like, can't. And in some ways, um, what they do ends up making things worse, or at least that was the case in the first movie. But uh, the, the, the general vibe I get from watching these two movies back-to-back is that, like, working for peace or trying to change the world is actually impossible because the world is already doomed. And I think that is maybe one of the most important bits of evangelical politics that I think took me a long time to really figure out that, you know, the world is going to be burnt up anyways. So like, don't try too hard to like fix it. Just try to save people in it. And I think that ends up being really bad um, as an effect of politics. Right. Yeah. I mean, that is literally true. Like I've had evangelical people say that to me in the past. <laughs> um, they, it comes out, especially in the, uh, conversation about climate change every once in a while like people would be like well even if it's true you know jesus is going to come back anyway so it doesn't matter how much oil we pull out of the ground um or like what we do to the planet uh but it also gets worked out into just social justice stuff you know of like well um one day we're all going to get raptured so the most important thing you could possibly do is save other people's souls which to be fair if that's actually what you believe that's probably true it's just you know wrong and bad <laughs> a wrong a bad thing to believe right because it just lets people suffer right <laughs> i mean it's so weird i don't know it's just it's just weird because i don't know evangelicalism is strange because it is it requires really nothing of you um except except sort of like um a belief in a very particular authority in the movie like the biggest win they get is when people sort of like they get saved right they commit their lives to jesus but like materially that means nothing other than like now they're a part of like their social order and it doesn't mean they do anything differently right it doesn't mean they're feeding the hungry it doesn't mean that they're fighting for the poor or the oppressed or whatever it just means that they're like going to be in church now yeah and it's just really frustrating for that reason too because it's like um you're not gonna you're not gonna try to make the world a better place you're not gonna try to like you know work for peace or whatever like the antichrist is even doing but you're just gonna like kind of say the magic words and then do nothing it's true well there's that side of it but there's also the other side where you actually um expend all your energies on something like going out and saving all these people or pulling them into your social order and that creates all these other kinds of anxieties and pathologies that make you hyperactive or overactive um i mean i'm just psychoanalyzing myself i guess but um no i don't disagree i'm just saying that like I, I believe that that is true, <laughs> but like evangelicalism is frustrating because it thinks it's doing yeah, yeah. something, but it's yes, not doing exactly. anything. Yeah, for sure. <laughs> yeah. Uh, I was also thinking about how many bizarre things come up in terms of like the, the uh, things that this film forces you to believe about, like even your loved ones and stuff. Like, you know, they show all these people yeah. who are um, concerned about like, okay, they show like a guy whose wife and child are, are raptured away and then he's left behind and he's like going to kill himself because he's so sad about it um you know understandably and uh like the way that he kind of gets talked off the ledge essentially is uh by appealing to that that like don't you want to go see your family again 
um, which is a, right, yeah, a pretty wild emotional manipulation. I mean, in the context of the film, it's believable, but in real life, it is awful and horrible. <laughs> um, but uh, it also is weird because it presumes that like your wife and child could go to heaven and just be like completely fine with uh, their dad and husband rotting in hell forever. Like that would be a, a totally OK um, eternal situation, <laughs> which is like also yeah, yeah. just really bizarre. It is really bizarre. <laughs> it's really bizarre and really troubling. <laughs> Um, well, we don't have a lot of time left. Uh, we did spend probably too much time pitching that movie uh, earlier, yeah. but that's okay. Um, let's, do you want to really, really quickly talk about, um, Israel and Benji yeah. as a religious guy? Yeah. <laughs> it's such a huge part of the movie. You can't, you can't avoid Israel. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. Well, so the, um, okay. People probably know that like Israel is very important to evangelicals, right? That that's a, a common thing. Um, but one reason that that is the case that people might not know is that there's a whole place that Israel and the Jews in particular play a whole role that they play in the end times um, eschatology of dispensationalists. So um, like the the last battle has to be fought in um, a certain place, for example, but also like they have to rebuild the temple in Israel. All these things have to happen before the end times occur. So that's why it's important that evangelicals defend Israel so that they can basically kick off all these events or accelerate them in some way. Um, and they like literally do actually do this, right? They give lots of money to these kinds of projects of like rebuilding the temple, etc. Um, so in this film, uh, Israel occupies a specific place, but also this guy, Rabbi Ben Judah, um, he throughout the film, he's he's just referred to as like a famous religious scholar, really brilliant, smart guy. And he's going to make this big announcement on TV and people don't know what it is. Uh, but by the time you get to the end, um, well, maybe I shouldn't reveal it right away, but uh, all that to say, he he's set up as this brilliant guy who knows the scriptures inside and out from years of study because he's, you know, a rabbi or whatever. Um, yeah, well, I, OK, I'll do it. I'm just going to go for it. <laughs> he uh, he meets at one point um, to get convinced. He meets uh, the two witnesses I mentioned at the top of the episode here. So the two witnesses are also in the Bible. Um, the, in Revelation, there's these two guys, and they can, like, breathe fire out of their mouths to defend themselves, and they're supposed to, like, witness to Jesus Christ in the end times. So uh, they're at the, the wall, and they're being, like, contained by the government. And uh, so Kirk Cameron decides to bring Rabbi Ben Judah to them, and he does. And then they <laughs> just, like spit out a ton of biblical verses about the Messiah at Rabbi Ben Judah and Kirk Cameron, who apparently Rabbi Ben Judah has never heard anything about this, has never once heard Christians talk about why Jesus is the Messiah. Um, and he is utterly convinced, um, and he makes this big announcement in the end, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah that the Jews have been looking for, um, and the Messiah of the whole world. So that's the supersessionist piece of it, too. Um, I know that's most of the plot, but Matt, uh, what really struck you about that in particular? Yeah, I think just the super, I mean, the supersessionism of it all, but also just like, uh, <laughs> it's so funny to think that like this great religious scholar. <laughs> Wait, people think that Jesus is the, oh, the Messiah, really? They think that? Oh, yeah, I guess that fits. I guess that makes sense, actually. <laughs> now that you say it that way, now it makes sense to me. Um, and then he's, and then he just like, um, so then, the, you know, the next day or whatever, uh, Rabbi Ben Judah gives this big, this big speech. He's like, listen, Jesus fits all these criteria. Huh? Go figure, huh? <laughs> <laughs> Evangelical Christians have been saying this since the 1920s. Um, uh, I mean, since, well, I mean, 1920s in sort of fundamental sense, but you know, for 2000 years, Christians have been saying that Jesus is actually the Messiah. Like you, you wouldn't have expected that. I guess no one's ever told me. <laughs> I don't know. I don't know. It's it's so ridiculous. It's it's so it makes me so mad because I mean, so supersessionism is just the basic Christian idea that like Christianity is something that supersedes uh, Judaism and that like in the end, Jews will like recognize that Christ is actually the Messiah or whatever. Um, and that's a idea that has often lent itself to anti-Semitism and a lot of other bad things. Um, but it's just like so frustrating and it makes me feel so mad that like evangelical filmmakers and writers would just think that this is like i don't know this is what they think people would actually respond or this is how they think the world would actually work that like all you have to do is just give your stupid pithy reading of the bible and these people who are like 
committing their lives to the study of like the Torah or something would just like, then they would just believe it. Like it's so stupid because evangelicals, I mean, they have this belief that like all you need is the Bible, right? It's just you and the text. Right. That's the only thing that's important. And that all you have to do is hear it. And like the words of the Bible are, are so magical that you just have to hear them and then you'll believe. And that's exactly what happens in the movie. And it's so annoying. Cause like, no people like, <laughs> prof- like, Rabbi Ben Judah is an expert in Judaism. Like he profoundly and and seriously believes, you know, the 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 Torah and like the Jewish tradition. Like he believes those things. It's part of his life. And then they just like throw it all away because like some evangelicals have read it in this way. And like it sucks. I I'm so mad yeah. about it. I'm so mad that they think that that's what other people are like. And I hate. Yeah. It. Well, there's also a weird way that evangelicalism fetishizes Judaism. And yeah. like really values it insofar as it gives you like the keys to being a good Christian or a true, true Christian. It creates all these really gross, um, I don't know, like on the one hand, like being extremely obsessed with Jewish people. And on the other hand, like trying to, you know, suck them into Christianity in some right. some way or another. Um, yeah. yeah. So very bad. Don't do that. Uh, also crazy because, yeah, like you said, like if it was just you in the text, you would never in a million years. I mean, it's like the, you know, a million monkeys in a, in a room writing a computer, writing on computers could like maybe someday make like a Shakespeare play. That's what dispensationalism feels like. (laughs) Like you would never read the Bible on your own and ever, ever, ever just intuitively or naively become a dispensationalist <laughs> like the... right it's a it's a hermeneutic project that's been built over you know decades of people like you know speculating about what these things might mean if the end times were to happen now or something yeah it's completely weird yeah it is no you would never just like magically be that you just never read a revelation and magically think this is like what would yeah happen. exactly um it's bizarre too because uh so if you spend time among these folks for a long time you also learn all the tricks of doing it so like for example there's there's a part um there are all these like bad plague type things that happen in revelation and uh evangelicals have all kinds of ways of like modernizing them so it'll be like something like there are these locusts with human faces and they like sting people and then people can't die and they like want to die. They like throw themselves off of cliffs, but they can't. That's like, you know, it's really gruesome stuff. Um, so if you ask an evangelical, like, what's that? They'll be like, oh, yeah, locusts with human face. Like, that's a helicopter for sure. And you're like, well, I don't <laughs> think so, though. <laughs> but that's the idea, right? It's just like forcing these analogies to like 20th or 21st century societies in these really ham-fisted ways. All right. So um, we haven't talked about Marxism at all in this episode, and we're probably not going to. But uh, I feel like we should at least do. It's good still. It's good. <laughs> it's good. We're still into it. Um, we should maybe end on that note, though, right? That like uh, <laughs> Christian Marxism is good because materialism um, hopefully stops you from believing in these kinds of extremely bizarre, <laughs> crappy ways of thinking about both uh, the Bible and uh, the world around you. That's my hot take. Yeah. It'll also help you see the um, the material implications of these types of theories like, uh, you know, Christian Zionism and stuff. Uh, well, that's I think that's going to be the end. I can't do these anymore. I've seen enough of that's them. Um, I'm done. I'm out of, of all. The, I want to get raptured out of rapture movies for the rest of my life. I got to tell you, I'm going to watch the third movie <laughs> um, for sure. <laughs> uh, I don't mind maybe playing the video game. Um, I'm going to try that out maybe. Uh, oh, dang. Here's one thing that I wanted to say at some point, um, but couldn't figure out a place. So the biggest difference from A Thief in the Night to Left Behind, I think, is we mentioned how A Thief in the Night is like a horror movie earlier, but it also takes place in rural Iowa, whereas Left Behind Mm. uh, is a disaster movie, but it takes place always in urban areas, except for when they go to Israel. But it's like Chicago and New York based. And um, what that means, I'm not exactly sure, except that I think my working hypothesis, this is the note that I'll end on, is uh, as evangelicalism develops, it gets worse and worse and worse by uh, assuming that it has a place in mainstream culture. And uh, maybe it was better when it, when uh-huh. it felt cordoned off to like weird rural horror. <laughs> maybe we were all better off back then. Maybe. That's a good take. Cool. Well, next week we'll come back with some uh, some more of that uh, that skewed Christian Marxist uh, stuff that you like so much uh, with a new arc, probably. 
So cool. We'll see you then. Um, but for the meantime, thanks for listening to the Magnificast. If you like what you heard, you can support us on Patreon, patreon.com slash the Magnificast. You can also follow us on Twitter. We have a Facebook group, etc. It's all great. It's all good. Uh, the music in this episode is, as always, by Amari Armstrong. The outro music is by The Illogical Spoon. And uh, I don't know. That's it. We'll see you next week. Church in the morning, church in the morning, souls alive. Heaven come to earth and there won't be no church. We'll meet down by the riverside. There we'll swim with all creation. Never get tired, never bored. Don't worry, someday there'll be no dam between us and our Lord. Jackson, keep your hoods up, you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Jackson, you keep your hoods up, well you keep your hoods up, and you stay up late. Oh, don't mind a cold night, but we might mind if you leave too soon.